From NBC5 and the Dallas Morning News, this is the Lone Star Politics Podcast. I'm Chris Blake. Last week's election day did not go as hoped for Democrats across the country, as Republicans took a high-profile governor's race and conservative candidates pulled out other surprising victories nationwide. Plus, the race for the primaries for next year's 2022 midterms get underway, and we talk a little bit of Dallas and U.S. history. To discuss, this week Julie Fine and Gromer Jeffers are joined by Democratic consultant Matt Engel, Texas Land Commissioner and candidate for Attorney General George P. Bush, and the director of the Dallas Public Library, Joe Gadice. In the most high-profile race nationally last Tuesday, Republican businessman Glenn Youngkin defeated former Democratic Governor Terry McAuliffe by two percentage points in the Virginia gubernatorial election. In another close race, New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy narrowly won re-election by a point over his Republican challenger. For contrast, President Joe Biden won Virginia by 10 points and New Jersey by 15 points, respectively, last year. Murphy was elected to his first term in 2017 with a 14-point cushion. In other surprising results, although lower-profile races, historically Democratic Seattle elected a Republican city attorney, and Republicans won landslide victories on Long Island, including two district attorney's offices. Matt Engel is the founder and director of the Washington-based Lone Star Project, he explains to Julian Gromer what went right for Republicans and wrong for Democrats last week and what it could mean for the midterm elections in Texas in 2022. Joining us this morning, Matt Angle, founder and director of Washington, D.C.-based Lone Star Project, a research and strategy company for Democratic candidates. Thanks so much for being with us. Hi, Julie. Hi, Gromer. Last Tuesday election, not a good night for Democrats. What went wrong for Democrats and right for Republicans? It was the classic mistake that Democrats often make, and that's we failed to define the Republican candidate as broken and out of, out of context and, and out of uh, the mainstream. And uh, when you do that, uh, it, the election ends up getting away from you. I think that Democrats need to see the Virginia and the New Jersey elections as instructive but not predictive. Uh, it's very important, particularly in Texas, that Democrats define Greg Abbott and Republicans as failed. Greg Abbott has been a horrible governor, probably the worst governor in modern Texas history. And we've got to tell that story and we've got to start telling it very soon. When you say that, though, polls still show Governor Greg Abbott as well ahead in the race for governor. Oh, I promise you that Greg Abbott's uh, people internally don't like those poll numbers. There's one very important number in there, and that is that Greg Abbott has a 57% negative among independent Texans. That number alone shows that there's an opening for Beto O'Rourke or any governor, even any candidate running for Texas governor as a Democrat. And uh, this race has to be about Greg Abbott. If it's about the Democratic candidate, we won't win. But if it's about Greg Abbott and his failed tenure as governor, then we have an excellent chance to win. Matt, speaking about what races should be about, in Virginia, Democrat Terry McAuliffe tried to cast uh, Republican Glenn Youngkin as a, a tool of former President Donald Trump. He tried to make uh, note of Trump's endorsement of the Republican candidate. Do you think going forward it's an effective strategy for Democrats to simply try to tie a Republican candidate to the former president? Well, a couple of things. One is that's all you're doing. You won't succeed. Terry waited until too late to make that connection. Uh, but you also have to tie it to issues. Here in Texas, uh, Greg Abbott has cuddled up. He sat in Greg and in, uh, in Donald Trump's lap, hoping for a pat on the head. 
but the most important thing is he's failed as a governor. Every year that he's been governor, Texas property taxes have gone up. He's worked to defund our Texas public schools. Uh, so uh, it's got to be about those things, not just about Trump. The Democratic Party ranges from the right to Joe Manchin to the left to Elizabeth Warren. Most Democrats sit somewhere in the middle in the mainstream. Republicans, they range from Donald Trump's right cheek to his left. That's about it. Having said that, is, is the former president an issue in Texas races in 2022? Definitely, uh, because again, what he's done is he has erased the Republican Party as the conservative party. They're for big government. They're for telling you where to live, how to live, and who to live with. Uh, they're for dividing people against one another. And uh, they're no longer about building Texas and making it strong. They put Texas at risk. And so that's all been about Donald Trump. Since Donald Trump ran for president originally in 2016, at least once a week, I have somebody that comes to me and says, I used to be a Republican, now I can't do that anymore. The challenge for Democrats is to make room in our party for those people, to make sure that they feel good as a Democrat. If we don't do that, we won't win. All right, so the Democrats, they cannot seem to agree on the president's agenda. You see one faction wanting something in a bill, another faction wanting something else. Nothing was passed before the governor's race in Virginia. So what happens next for Democrats as they try to come together before elections? They better get it done. This is important time for President Biden to put his foot down and say, this is where I stand. This is what I'm for. Like it or not, Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema have an outsized say in what gets passed because you need 50 votes in order to get this done. Uh, some of the well-meaning progressives in our party need to take a step back and understand the danger of doing nothing uh, and arguing the perfect against the good. Uh, what the president has proposed will be ground changing in this country. It will create jobs. It will create stronger families. It will make more opportunities for all of our kids. They need to get it passed. They need to quit arguing about it. And that needs to happen fast. And then they need to pass the voting rights laws so that our elections are repaired from the damage that's been done to them by Republican leaders across this country, particularly in Texas. And in, in a few moments we have left, Matt, Matt Angle, let's talk about redistricting. Beverly Powell, the, the state senator from Burleson, the Democrat, is suing to try to overturn the state district maps in Senate, and specifically District 10 in Tarrant County. What's her case there? What, what's her argument and why is it important? Well, it's really important because it's national implications. Uh, Beverly Powell's district, Senate District 10, is a district that performs for minority voters, a coalition of blacks, Hispanics, and Asians. And when the Republicans attempted to dismantle it in 2011, the federal court stepped in and stopped them and made them put it back together. The Republicans intentionally fractured that district again. They sheared it in half, putting part of it with counties that are over 100 miles away for the specific purpose of undermining the Voting Rights Act and setting up a test case as to whether or not the Voting Rights Act is going to stand at all to protect anyone. And so this isn't just a Texas case. This isn't certainly just about Beverly Powell. This is about basic voting rights. And so I hope that people who care about voting rights around the country will pay close attention to this uh, case because it will decide whether or not the Voting Rights Act stands for anything anymore. Matt Angle with the Lone Star Project. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. Now, of course, there were other elections in North Texas last week, including a high profile race for South Lake School Board and for a new mayor in Mesquite. 
For more on those races and amendments to the state constitution, visit NBCDFW.com. We stay in election mode and turn our focus to next year's primaries for statewide office, for which we hope to have all the candidates on the show. First, we start with Texas Land Commissioner George P. Bush, who is challenging Attorney General Ken Paxton in the Republican primary. The other Republican candidates are State Representative Matt Krause of Fort Worth and former State Supreme Court Justice Eva Guzman. The candidates for the Democratic nomination include Civil Rights Attorney Lee Merritt and former Galveston Mayor Joe Jaworski. Bush is the oldest child of former Florida Governor Jeb Bush and has served as land commissioner since 2015. Here he is with Julian Gromer. Joining us this morning, Texas Land Commissioner George P. Bush. Thanks so much for being here. Great to be with you. Let's start here with your run for attorney general. You're taking on a sitting Republican. Why did you make that decision? Well, Amanda and I have uh, been privileged to serve in a, in a role that takes care of our military veterans' response to natural disasters here in Texas and generate revenue for public schools in our state. And when the FBI announced uh, late last year that they were investigating crimes ranging from abuse of office to corruption to taking bribes, uh, I knew that uh, after thought and prayer that we needed to offer ourselves, and I say we because Amanda and I are true partners in this in public service, that uh, Texas deserves better. We need a new attorney that's above reproach, not facing criminal indictment, and that is going to serve the people of Texas every single day with a, with a core focus on protecting Texas values. So uh, Attorney General Paxson has denied any wrongdoing. But for you, is it about whether he's guilty or innocent of the charges or that he's embroiled in, or not charges, investigation? There is the art of securities fraud charges as well. For you, is it... Is it because he's embroiled in, in these investigations and charges or uh, that there's something there? Well, uh, let's take a step back and look at the securities fraud charges. He's now in year seven of this trial. And if he's as innocent as he proclaims, then he needs to sit down for a jury trial in front of his fellow peers here in the state of Texas and be evaluated, which he has refused to do now for seven years. As it relates to the FBI investigation, these allegations need to be taken very seriously. These were brought by his seven top lieutenants that he handpicked and recruited to the agency. And they've alleged everything from bribery to corruption to abuse of office on behalf of a financial donor. And so if there's an office in Austin that requires somebody to be above approach, it's this one. And I think it's affecting the effectiveness of this agency. We need to confront uh, an insecure border. We need to confront uh, the thin blue line that exists here in the state of Texas, a high rate of uh, of crime that is existing on our streets that are not being addressed by an attorney general that's facing his own legal issues. Uh, you sought the endorsement of former President Donald Trump. He is backing incumbent Ken Paxton. Are you concerned that will be a factor? Well, I remain a supporter of President Trump. I led the victory effort in 2016 in delivering the high watermark for Republicans that year in the state of Texas. And to be honest with you, I'm the more effective spokesperson for the president because, again, I'm not under criminal indictment and I will actually win against a Democrat in the general election. And so I remind my fellow Republicans that one thing they need to think about is that Ken was the lowest vote getter with the securities fraud charges four years ago. This time around he will not win because he's facing corruption and bribery charges. And imagine having a Democrat AG with a Democrat president, what that means for Texas politics. What, what do you make of running with or uh, uh, the endorsement of Trump or running without it? In, in today's you know, Republican primary. As you know, in the congressional race between Susan Wright and Jake Elsey, Susan Wright had to enjoy endorsement. Jake Elsey ends up winning that race. So is it a new ball game now when, when it comes to that? 
I think the key takeaway in Jake's win was that he served in the state legislature. He was a Navy veteran. I'm a Navy veteran myself. I've served as land commissioner. And he reached out to Trump supporters and said, look, I, I agree with the policies. You've got to look at who's going to be the most effective prosecutor of those policies. And that's been my message in traveling this great state, not only to Trump supporters, but all Republicans, independents and moderates that are actually coming to join this campaign. And if you look at my endorsements from law enforcement, Border Patrol Union, you'll see that this message is resonating. As you head into the race, your top priority and your biggest concern about the state of Texas. So it's border security. Uh, we have a federal government that's unwilling to do their job. They're being activists in certain areas like forced vaccinations, as we just found out uh, today, uh, for, for employers with over 100 workers. Um, and in the courthouse, I would challenge those areas of overreach. But to answer your question, it's the inactivity of this federal government to secure our border, maintain Texas sovereignty, and to enforce actual immigration law. And so as AG, I'd be holding the president accountable on that front. I'd be forward deploying all available resources to our border communities that are being overrun with illegal immigrants. Governor Abbott has now allowed prosecutors to prosecute under state trespassing criminal law so that we, we can be a partner in this effort. I am suing the Biden administration right now as land commissioner to finish the so-called Trump wall because those dollars have been now diverted away from its construction. And so we're doing what we can in the meantime, but we need an AG that's uh, taking on this administration yesterday on the crisis on our border. In the short time we have remaining, what, what's your opinion of the probe launched by one of your opponents, Matt Krause, the state representative for Fort Worth, into uh, school library books and curriculum books and issues dealing with race, gender identity, and sexuality? You think that's a necessary endeavor? Well, here in the state of Texas, what I call for is more uh, local involvement in the design of curriculum. We do have our State Board of Education that derives a, a statewide curriculum, which should always be reevaluated, which it is. Um, but at the local level, we're seeing dangerous proposals in terms of critical race theory, in terms of what I would call woke culturism. And, and there's ways to teach history in a fact uh, basis, not necessarily subjective interpretation that try to redefine it. That's something we're confronting at the Alamo every single day, where folks now are claiming that the battle was focused on the institution of slavery when it wasn't. It was about liberating uh, Texas from a, a tyranny in the form of the Mexican government. So um, this is good political theater, but we need people, especially concerned parents, to step forward, run for school board, and reevaluate curriculum. So the probe that audit you think is, is political theater? His call is for it. His yeah. call for it, okay. And we finish this week with a fun story about a piece of U.S. history in Dallas. This conversation is pulled from our new look Lone Star Politics Extra, which you can check out online or on NBC5's app on Roku, Apple TV, and Amazon Fire. We talked to Joe Gadice, the director of the Dallas Public Library, about how the city wound up with a copy of the Declaration of Independence. Uh, our guest today on Lone Star Politics Extra is from the... Dallas Public Library, the director there, Joe Gadice, and we have her on today because there was a little bit of history in Dallas this week. The Declaration of Independence and the U.S. Constitution, both original copies, were on display at the same time. So, uh, Joe, thanks for hopping on with us today. Thank you so much for the invitation. Well, let's start with this. I'm, who knew we had all of this here? Well, you know, I think the library is the best kept secret in town. 
And we've had this um, broadside copy of the Declaration of Independence on display, on display here at the Central Library for a long time. Like how long? When you say long time, I mean decades? So, or... <laughs> yes, as a matter of fact, it was brought to the city of Dallas in 1978. Wow. Um, but it's been on display at the library since the early 80s. How, why, why Dallas? I, I, I mean, I'm happy. It's great. I mean, I have such a, <laughs> a, a historic document here, original copies. But, but uh, did, did someone just was Drop smart enough, to, or someone smart <laughs> enough to negotiate and say, "Hey, we 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 need a copy here." How did it happen? Well, I think it's a little bit of both. Well, the Constitution was on display this past week just as a one-time event, so oh. that was a copy that's going up for auction with Sotheby's. But the Declaration of Independence, which this copy that we have is called the broadside copy. So give you a little history. Uh, there were about 200 of these printed on July 4th, 1776 by John Dunlop, a printer in Philadelphia. They were um, transported by Pony Express to the colonies. Um, had anyone been caught, they would have been tried for treason at that very moment of time. This document is the very first time the words United States of America were in print. This particular copy we have here at the library is called the lost copy because it was found in storage at Leary's bookstore in Philadelphia in 1968. And after it was authenticated as one of the originals, it went up for sale. And two uh, Dallas businessmen, Ira G. Corn Jr. and Joseph Driscoll bought it. For several years, they displayed it around the nation for free, but it was purchased by a very generous group of citizens um, in 1978 and was on display, put on display on July 4th, 1978 at City Hall. A few years later, we got a permanent display here on the seventh floor of the Central Library. And it's been there ever since. Wow. So it's so interesting that the other document is going to be auctioned off. I mean, can you imagine having something like that in your home? How much money? Do, how much do you will, have, it, will it be? Julie, how much? So, yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> Joe, let's, let's, you let's only need a, you, <laughs> you only need about twenty million dollars to buy the copy of the Constitution that's being auctioned. That's what they expect it will 20 go for. Twenty million dollars. Twenty million. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> Well, I don't know, girl, and, the, and so what that for me for the holidays. Uh, no, if it was eighteen yeah. million, good gift, be, but not twenty. <laughs> so there were about three hundred. There were about three hundred copies of the Constitution printed. So think, there were only about two hundred of these broadside copies of the Declaration, and there are only twenty-six known left. Um, Twenty-three of them are in the United States. Two are in England. Um, this copy we have at the Central Library is the only one on public display west of the Mississippi. Oh, so I, I have to ask. I don't know if you know, but England seems to be an odd place for a Declaration of Independence, right? Uh, I, it, it is in a museum. It's there, you know, it's I, history. I, it is history. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Here's how it happened. Here's how we lost. Uh, well, Joe, it's really interesting uh, that we had it here and that we've had it here for so long. And I think this is something people can really pay attention to and go see this. Yeah, I hope so. I really do. It is spectacular when we have uh, students come through. Um, you know, it's 
it's a lot of fun to see their faces light up because I tell them that, you know, this was all hand set each letter. And if you compare copies, sometimes the letters move a little bit. Now you have to think about John Dunlop did this in the middle of the night with Thomas Jefferson and Ben Franklin standing over his shoulder. No pressure there, right? Right, and right, right. No, no typos, not at all. No typos either. So <laughs> Joe, you know, with, with such a great asset comes responsibility, right? So how do you keep it in good shape? How do you make sure that it, it stays, um, uh, where folks can go visit and, and see it and, and like don't well, crumble or something like that. that. That's a really great question. So it is, of course, behind a locked case. It is climate controlled as well as light controlled. Um, that way we can let people take photos of it. We discourage flash photos, but you can easily take a picture. And it's, it's in a lovely display on the seventh floor that was provided for us by the friends of the Dallas Public Library. So the history is written there. And that way we can keep it safe. Uh, lots of security around it. So don't get any ideas. <laughs> but I it know. is um, well, you can Joe, about my present. And Julie is already I was, expressed I was wondering about that. And hanging it up in her home. So you need to get her photo and, you know, make sure. You're on alert. Right. We'll we'll make sure the cameras are on alert for her <laughs> when she's popping around. Well, on that yeah, note, yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> on that note, we're gonna wrap <laughs> up here. Joe, it was so fun to talk to you. Come back and see us, okay? I would love to. Thanks so much. Thank uh, you. Thank you. Joe Gadice from the Dallas Public Library joining us on our Lone Star Politics Extra today. And before we get out of here, wanna talk a little bit about the show you guys just went and did you talked to george p bush one of the candidates for attorney general it seems like we just finished an election like four days ago we're already diving in so these statewide races you're going to try to talk to as many candidates as you can what are we looking for or what should we be paying attention to ahead of the democratic and republican statewide primaries you know what you know chris what was interesting about the george p interview and i think julie noticed this as well is he was more animated and more energetic than I've seen him in a long time. And I look for contrast. And one, he said this because he's running against Ken Paxson, who is under um, indictment for securities fraud and under investigation by the FBI for corruption. And he, he was like, look, if Paxson wins, then a Democrat will be attorney general, and you can't have that. So he's trying to make this case to voters already. Like vote for me or or else. Yeah, he's this. He was very. Um, he came right out in the gate on yeah. talking about the incumbent for sure. Right. He really did come right out in the gate, and he talked about border, and he talked. You know, he talked about a variety of different things. It'll be interesting to see. You know, again, we're hoping to have all of the candidates on to hear what each of them. You know, we asked what is the biggest pressing issue facing Texas, and the land commissioner did say um, border security. I'm interested right. to hear what each of them says. But it, I just can't believe we're in another election season. Isn't it amazing? Because the, it's our busy time, right? And, what would it, what's right. not our busy time? That's what I'm. That's you're absolutely right. You know, usually the summer after session, right after uh, the legislative session and before. 
filing is sort of a easy especially kind of, in the off election right. in the off congressional yeah. year i mean this is this year i was looking at vacation and i'm i'm thinking i still have vacation to take we just haven't had a minute which yeah. is fine that you know comes with the territory but it's just been one thing into the next thing this year and i'm tell you uh christopher this is going to go fast because the primary is in march so you're talking about a filing deadline i think it's december 13th so after the holidays we're going to be in it we're swinging yeah, we're swinging and, in it so right in it. yeah it, it will be interesting to see the guests that we have both on 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 the show and on the podcast I, i'm excited about that so tune in everybody I, i'm we're going to have uh some great guests and we're going to talk about a lot of interesting things and we're hopefully you know and you know my dream show Super Bowl Sunday yes. I want to have an all-sports show yeah. all-sports show I want to have an with, all -sports with show. the Cowboys Bills Super Bowl I you know I, I can't even think that far in advance that would be a great game first of all yeah. it would be a great football game but I'm a you know born and raised in Buffalo so I really never want to get too excited I've, you know, been through my share of heartbreak, as have Cowboys yeah, fans. Or four really, of them, yeah. You know, four, four in a row, in a row. That was in a row. <laughs> but um, I think that would be a great Super Bowl. I, listen, the Cowboys are having – they're so much fun to watch. They're just so much fun to watch this year. Well, we do this football show on Friday mornings now, and Pat Doney is all in on the Cowboys, of course. But I think a lot of the reason Cowboys fans are hesitant to, like, put the expectations out there for the Super Bowl – is because they've been let down so many times, so you kind of want to pump the brakes until you actually see a few playoff wins. Yeah, uh, yeah I could give a course on that, right? I could give a course <laughs> on that. But it's just, it's just been super fun. And, you know, Gromer and, I, Gromer and I talk a lot of politics, but we talk a lot of sports, too. Yeah. We talk a lot of sports. Yeah, and people uh, also don't know that Julie is really, really a great fantasy football league owner. I well, this season I am. Last year I wasn't so good, but this well, didn't season, you win it one year? Didn't no, you I came in second one year. Last to year Nui? was it Nui? I think I lost to Nui. It was either Nui or Doni. I know I won it last year. You won it, Chris won it. But last it's year. it's been a rough year so far. <laughs> well, but always always injuries. But you yeah. know, um, I've always you know they have this other podcast as you were talking about the sports podcast. I've been really trying hard to guest star on. I've failed. I've failed really miserably, Gromer. Yeah. Well, you know they're kind of. Know. Yeah, sports. Yeah, they yeah, sports. they feel they, like they you know they they have the whole territory. The you know, I don't know. If, I don't know if how many people want to hear Bills talk. I'm well-rounded. <laughs> I know the game. Then, I know the game. Well, do, Speaking of Buffalo, though, back oh, to politics. Oh, yeah. So Mar oh, the, there was a race in Buffalo um, for mayor, and a newcomer who is a self-defined socialist, won. She beat the incumbent in the primary who'd been there, I think, four terms, Byron Brown. Right. He came back and won in a write-in campaign over her in the general. Which. Wow tells you a lot about the primary process right how maybe voters in the primary aren't you know in tune with the well, general I think election crowd right well and i think too in a primary sometimes people are like if it's a four-time incumbent against somebody that doesn't have a name you know that's yeah. not well known they think they don't have to go out and vote i was seeing i saw something about and i gromer you probably know this better than me and i should but there was a um i think it was like a majority leader in one of the states that was knocked off by a complete political newcomer. Yeah. I so y y I remember uh, years back uh, AOC's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez Ocasio victory you know, over 
an established established uh, so democrat well, it'll, you know, it'll be, I'm interested to see it, you know, a lot's going to depend on, too, speaking of AOC, the progressive wing versus a more moderate wing, which we saw in Buffalo somewhat win, it, what happens with Joe Biden's agenda? You know, yeah. you've got a lot of different factions in there, so it'll be interesting. What's interesting and uh, about all of that is it was rough, a rough week for Biden and Democrats right after Virginia and to some degree New Jersey. Well, it's interesting, Friday... The stock market went through the roof. You had good news on on uh, COVID, but that's front. because the job. I think the, the, jobs, the jobs report came right. out. But then you have this COVID news where where is it? I forgot the that company the, exactly. The therapeutic, basically, yeah. um, and predictions that maybe by January will be coming out. I don't want to give people false hope, but your folks, doctors, that are saying that we may be seeing some light at the end of the tunnel. And I say all that to say, if there's a, a feeling by the time the midterm elections roll around, and I know that is usually disastrous for the party in power, but if people start beginning to feel like the country is headed in the right direction, that could be an opening for Democrats. Listen, Otherwise, listen, this was a, not a good week for Democrats, but I think people always have to remember and you hear this all the time a year is a lifetime in politics sometimes right. it's the, the drive home three things can happen so mm -hmm. you know all right grom um good week yeah um i love being with you chris we love you doing this for us and doing it in here and it's all good yeah we'll see where we go after this with the show make sure you check out uh, the tv show 8 30s sunday mornings 8 30 sunday mornings on nbc5 and online and all the audio will compile together and still put it out uh, as an audio podcast. So a lot of ways to check out this Lone Star Politics content. Yeah, and, and if you missed last week, check it out. Drew Pearson was in He was really form. good. Rare form. Yes, oh. you should see that. Thanks to Matt Engel, Land Commissioner George P. Bush, and Joe Goodice for joining us this week. You can stay up to date on everything Texas politics at NBCDFW.com slash Lone Star Politics. We'll talk to you next week.